As we remain standing and once more we turn our attention to hearing God's Word, the message this morning comes from the first chapter of Galatians. So turn there with me if you will and take up your copy of the Word and follow along with me beginning at verse 1. Hear now the Word of the Lord. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our gracious Father in heaven, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We give you thanks and praise you for every word that you have preserved through the ages and given to your people. As we come now before the preaching of Your Word, we ask that Your Holy Spirit would attend the preaching and illumine the hearing, and that in its instruction, You would be pleased to mold us and equip us better to love one another and to live and serve You with pure hearts. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we continue working our way through Galatians, you will recall that last week we began the final turn in verse 1 of chapter 6, and today we finish that turn which will lead us into the home stretch, so to speak, and of Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. And I'll confess with a little bit of apprehension, I now need to pick what is the next text that I will preach through, so join me in prayer if you would as I seek the Lord's face and guidance to to choose what we will be preaching next. Last week, we looked at four aspects of the Christian life that we who are spiritual, that is to say, all Christians participate in, namely, death, life, stumbling, and restoration. As you will recall, the fourth aspect of restoration was taken from verse 1 here in chapter 6, and we saw that Paul gave the instruction that restoration of a brother or a sister is a task for the spiritually mature Christian, and that it should be done in a spirit of meekness, first considering whether or not one can approach this weighty task without falling into temptation yourself. And so as we look at verse 2 now, we see that the instruction there is more general in nature. Bear one another's burdens. Whereas verse 1 was very specific, restoring a brother who has been overtaken in a sin. This morning, in an attempt to give some memorable structure to the message, I'm going to venture out onto the skinny branches, as it were, and uh, provide five headings for the text in front of us that rhyme. So forgive me if this doesn't strike you quite right, but as we look at the next five verses, verse 2 through 6, we will do so so under these headings. 
bear, care, stare, S-T-A-R-E, fair, and share. So that we'll start with our first heading, bear. Burden bearing. Burden bearing is a second type of spiritual work that, that may demand less gentleness than restoring a sinner, but it also may take more effort. Martin Luther said that the nature of this work dictates that Christians must have strong shoulders and mighty bones that they may bear flesh. That is the weakness of their brethren. Strong shoulders and bones. Whether literal or metaphorical, these are needed to bear the weight of these burdens. Continuing the analogy from last time, if you recall then, where restoration of a brother who has stumbled is like setting a broken bone burden bearing is more like carrying the stretcher it is the work of bearing someone else's burden bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ the implication from this verse is that Christians will have burdens and heavy ones at that. Falling into sin from time to time is one type of burden, but there are many others as well. Sorrow, worry, doubt, failure, poverty, loneliness, illness, disability, depression, and the list goes on and on. Not only do we face such hardships, but we are often incapable of handling them by ourselves. Sometimes our burdens are so heavy that they must be shared if they are to be carried at all. There is a sense, of course, in which God carries our burdens for us. Our biggest burden of all, the infinite burden of our sin and guilt, is a burden that only God could bear. He did this when Jesus carried His cross to Calvary and died there upon the hill for our sins. Since God has already carried our greatest burden on the cross, then surely we can handle our lighter loads as well. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, wrote David in Psalm 55, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. And as Peter writes in his first epistle, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Consider those words for just a moment. God cares for you. For you individually. For you as the body of Christ. You can and indeed are called to cast your burdens upon Him. The fact that God carries our burdens, however, does not mean that He is the only one with whom we should share them. Often the way God lightens our load is by prompting other Christians to do some of the caring. If we are discouraged in the Christian life, it may be because we are trying to carry too much weight. If we want we want my notes are messed up. Hold on one second. <laughs> 
let's just start here. We don't want to, there is a tendency each one of us has not to want to impose on a brother or to burden our brother, but God has indeed given us one another. Every believer is called to be some form of help or aid giver. We need to know this. This means that we do not need to keep our troubles to ourselves. In fact, it means that we must not. As we see in Ecclesiastes, that very familiar passage, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Many times people in the church suffer heavy losses. Losses too heavy to bear alone. When they do, they may share their burden with one of their pastors and perhaps a few close friends. Together, everyone helps to carry the load. Some do it through prayer. Others offer warm hugs and speak kind words of comfort and sympathy. Still others help in practical ways by cleaning the house, bringing a meal to share, or sharing an appropriate encouraging book. Sometimes there are tasks that are too heavy or require skills that go beyond our own, and those who have that to serve render it joyfully to their brother or sister and thus bear a burden. This ought to happen when a member of the church finds himself in difficulty, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual. If we have a heavy load, we need to let someone else help us carry it. And if we see someone else struggling under the weight of trouble, we need to be willing and ready with a cheerful heart to put our back into the task, so to speak. Our impulse as Christians should be to always rally around those in any true need. And what a beautiful, beautiful example of that we witnessed this week. The Lord has gone before us, preparing skilled and caring hands to render service to one of our own who was injured. The response was quick and loving. The prayers of the saints multiplied, and thanksgiving was rendered to our mighty Lord for His mercies. And I don't want to embarrass anyone here, but as our brother Kelly so beautifully shared, I'll share his words with us once more. What a blessing to know that she is so strong physically. We pray the Lord will allow her to overcome this injury. She has always been active, and for this, our Father has made her strong for this particular episode. We also know our Father will use her family to be a testimony of faith, peace, and assurance to people who don't know our Lord and Savior. We pray that your smiles, your love for your family, your devotion and passion for Christ will draw the unsaved as a beautiful flower draws bees to enjoy its nectar. The prayers of the saints, bearing burdens, rendering praise where praise is due. Thanks be to God. Know this also. Know that whenever Christians bear one another's burdens, they are fulfilling the law. Paul wrote, 
and so fulfilled the law of Christ. This might be a surprising verse if Paul had not already spent so much time already teaching us this truth. After spending the majority of his letter explaining that justification comes by faith in Christ alone and not by works of the law, he then instructs us to keep the law. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Back in verse 14 of chapter 5. We are called to keep the law of love, even though our salvation does not depend upon it. Though we are not under the law, nevertheless we fulfill the law in love. What the apostle means by the law of Christ is the moral law. It is called the law of Christ because Christ himself taught it throughout his ministry, interpreting it, clarifying it, and applying the moral requirements of God's eternal law. In all of the ethical instructions Jesus gave, and he repeated all of the main points of the Old Testament law, including the Ten Commandments, his most basic instruction was to love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. The law of Christ is the law of loving one another. another. And one way to fulfill the law of love is to bear one another's burdens. By caring for one another, we become law-abiding Christians. Of course, we are not saved by keeping the law. That's not what I'm saying. However, God's will for our lives as expressed in His moral law has not changed. Now that we have been saved, we must keep the law of Christ. Indeed, that is a new desire that springs from our regenerated hearts. We must continue to love our neighbors as ourselves, bearing one another's burdens, just as Christ showed His love for us when He bore the burden of our sins on the cross. We know that burden-bearing feels more unnatural to some of us than to others. But as we yield to the leading of the Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit, we find that we can do the very thing that doesn't necessarily feel natural. Don't make excuses. Don't evaluate your spiritual fruit and decide that you don't have this particular gift. In fact, it may be a good exercise for each of us to consider the fruit of the Spirit, fruit that every Christian will bear, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and meditate upon each of these attributes and ask this question, how can I manifest burden-bearing by exercising this attribute of the fruit of the Spirit. Second heading, care. I suppose that we all have our favorite passages in Scripture. It may be the sheer beauty in the words, or it, maybe it was a text that you leaned upon heavily through a difficult season of life. Whatever the case may be, there are those verses that we turn to more often than others. One of my favorite texts comes from the first verses of Philippians chapter 2. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, 
if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye might be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Is it because I find in this text the very exhortation that I need and that I find so difficult to apply? Is it because this text answers the question, how do I become more like Jesus? Is it because of the summary of the glory of the Gospel that is given in these words? Or is it the exalted view of Jesus? Or is it all of these? Probably. The only way to love our neighbors as ourselves is to truly recognize that our neighbor is at least as valuable in the sight of God as we are. In other words, we must consider others more important than ourselves, or it is, as it is written in this text from Philippians, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. The way we treat others depends in large measure on what we think about ourselves. People who have a rather high opinion of themselves are generally unwilling to carry someone else's burden. They tend to be too self-centered or self to, in order to be self-giving. They think that serving others is beneath their dignity. Why should they stoop to shoulder someone else's burden? This attitude was especially common in the ancient world where it was considered demeaning to help others. Now you may not, and I hope that you are not able to identify with that particular perspective. Good. But what if we change the motivation to a more contemporary context? A more contemporary excuse? How much more likely are we to think that we are too busy to help? Or presume that someone else is more suited to the task? Often, the only way to manage someone else's burden is by putting down our own burdens for a while. Needy people have a way of demanding our time, changing our plans, and rearranging our schedules. Helping them requires the kind of sacrifices that we will make only if we consider them more important than ourselves. In fact, helping others is only possible for those who have the mind of Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. 
The response that Scripture gives to people who think they are something special is that actually they are nothing. Verse 3 from our text today, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. People who are fascinated by and even trusting in their own abilities and attributes are only, in the end, fooling themselves. Which brings to mind this anecdote that can't be verified but serves to illustrate the point nonetheless. As the story goes, a stewardess once told the heavyweight boxing champ, Muhammad Ali, to prepare for takeoff. He responded, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the quick-witted stewardess replied, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> don't you wish you were that quick-witted from time to time? <clears throat> we may wonder just what does Paul mean when he says a man is nothing. Calvin said, we have nothing of our own to boast about, but are destitute of every good thing. The truth is that we have what we, everything we have comes from God. If, if we are anything at all, it is only because we are created and redeemed in Christ, and it is Christ we serve. In Acts 20, if you recall, Paul calls the elders from Ephesus to himself. And there we read, And now behold, I go bound, Paul speaking here to the elders, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul did not count his own life as dear or precious. He did not think much of himself or his position or for his needs so that he might finish the race with joy, so that he might fulfill his ministry, so that he could be a tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit and see the spread of the gospel. So the exhortation to us is to avoid deception. In lowliness of mind, esteem others as better than yourselves. Put others' needs ahead of your own. Make those changes in your schedule. Lay down your load for someone else and care for the brethren. Heading number three, stare. S-T-A-R-E. The way to avoid thinking that we are something we are not, is to see ourselves the way that God sees us. This is what Paul means as we turn now to verse 4. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. There is a way to be concerned for others without comparing ourselves to them. We need to know that the outcome of such comparisons is often unprofitable, and it can even be ugly. Either we get discouraged because we are less spiritual than someone else, or we become proud because we believe that we are more spiritual. But either way, we are making a wrong comparison. Instead of comparing ourselves to someone else, we should test ourselves 
against God's standard, which is the only standard that matters. This kind of testing or self-examination is a necessary part of the spiritual life. There is a danger in being overly introspective or falling into morbid introspection, as it is sometimes called. Some people spend so much time examining and re-examining their lives that they hardly know how to live. That is not what Paul is calling us to. This is not the right way to look or stare at one's life. These sorts of people never get around to living in the confidence of the Lord. We are called to properly stare at our lives and move forward in a life of service. We need to prove our thoughts, words, actions in the same way that a precious metal is proved in the fire. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, as we read in Psalm 12. When it is done, it is done and ready for use. However, it is not easy to make an accurate assessment of our gifts and shortcomings. Often it requires the help of Christian friends. Truth be told, more often than not, we do not want to know what our friends really think of us. But sometimes it would be helpful if we did. Self-examination also requires good judgment. As Paul wrote to the Romans, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Romans 12.3 Knowing how we measure up to God's standard will help us to bear one another's burdens. The people who one another most effectively are those who know their own strengths and weaknesses. Testing ourselves also helps us to enable, enables us to take pride in what we do in the right sense of the word. When Paul speaks of boasting, he obviously does not mean that God wants us to go around bragging that we are better than someone else. No, what he means is that we should be confident in who we are in Christ. When our actions meet God's test as they do whenever they truly are done according to his word in service to Christ for the advancement of his glory, then we can properly take pleasure in his praise. We are to look to God's word. We are to heed the counsel of our brothers and sisters. We are to take a step in faith, being prayed up and ready to serve and bear one another's burdens. As Paul went on to say in Acts 20 to those gathered elders, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul's conscience before God was utterly clear. He knew God's call upon his life, and he had been faithful in that call. His confidence in Christ led him every step of the way. He was able to stare at his Christian walk, so to speak, and see that insofar as God has blessed, he has been faithful. God used Paul in a mighty way. Paul was bold. He took, he took that step in faith. He followed the leading of the Spirit. Which leads us to our fourth heading, which is fair, F-A-I-R. The Apostle Paul brackets this 
burden-bearing passage before us with, for every man shall bear his own burden. At first, this may seem like a contradiction, does it not? In verse 2, we are told to bear one another's burdens, whereas in verse 5, we are commanded to carry our own load. So which is it? Should we share our burdens or keep them to ourselves? Of course, we know that these two verses are not contradictory, but complementary. Mutual accountability must be balanced by personal responsibility. To better see this truth, it helps to know the difference between the two Greek words at play here, baros and fortion. The word baros refers to a heavy load, like cargo being loaded onto a freighter. And not surprisingly, baros is the word in verse 2 to describe the weight that must be shared because it is a burden too heavy for the person to carry. The word fortion, on the other hand, refers to a man's traveling pack, kind of like a backpack. When Scripture says that everyone must carry his own weight, this lighter burden is what is in view. This is a weight that everyone must carry. The weight of our own personal responsibility before God. This is the load that is right and good for the Christian to carry. You might call it that load which is genuinely fair. So you need to know that God has given you a unique set of gifts, spiritual gifts for every situation in life. You will not have to answer for what you might have done with someone else's spiritual gift. But you and you alone will have to answer for the way you carry the responsibilities that God has given you. Martin Luther again wrote, In spiritual gifts, we far surpass others. But because we acknowledge these gifts, these as gifts of God, not our own, granted to us for the building up of the body of Christ, we do not become proud on their account. For we know that more is required of Him to whom much is given than of Him to whom little is given. In addition, we know that God shows no partiality. Therefore, a faithful sexton is no less pleasing to God with his gift than a preacher of the word, for he serves God in the same faith and spirit. And that quote resonates well with a quote from William Tyndale that some of you know and may even display in your kitchen today. If we look externally, there is a difference between washing dishes and preaching the word of God, but as touching to please God, there is no difference at all. In reading the quote from Martin Luther, I, had, I did have to look up the word sexton. I did not know what a sexton was. Do you know what a sexton is? I'm, I'm sure some of you do. A sexton is a church custodian charged with keeping the church and parish buildings, preparing them for meetings, caring for the church equipment, and performing related duties such as ringing the bell and digging graves. Now we know what a church sexton is. Therefore, in this quote from Martin Luther, we see that God will not judge sextons on the basis of their ability to preach, nor will he judge preachers on the basis of their ability to repair the church. God will judge us all according to our calling, our gifts, and our obedience. So the exhortation to you is to do your own work and do it without comparing yourself to anyone else. And do it well as unto God, for one day you will have to give an answer to God for both what you have done and for what you have left undone. 
And our fifth heading is share. There is one more thing that we are to do as Spirit-filled people, and that is to share with one another. The kind of sharing that Paul mentions here in verse 6 is primarily the kind that takes place between a pastor and his congregation. Let him that is taught the word, taught in the word, communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. And I'll readily admit that in the King James is a bit awkward and difficult to explain. So the New King James translation is probably more helpful to us here. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Both the minister and the church have something to share. The minister is to provide good, solid solid teaching from God's Word. And the word Paul uses here for teaching is katecheo, which we get from which we get the word catechism. It refers to any kind of oral instruction in biblical truth. And so to understand what Paul writes in verse 6, first consider the previous verse, for every man shall bear his own burden. This was Paul's instruction concerning the idea that all of us will have to stand individually before the presence of God to account for our lives. We will not be able to hide behind excuses or compare to others. We can, we can either stand alone or we can look to Christ by faith and be covered by His righteousness. righteousness. There, there are no other options. But Paul did not want his instruction to be misconstrued to mean that pastors should therefore have to provide for their own financial support. So Paul qualifies what he said in verse 5 with this statement in verse 6. Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. The recipient of the teaching and preaching of the word should share in all good things with the teacher and the preacher. While all good things is not restricted to financial support alone, it should nevertheless include it. Elsewhere, Paul explains the importance of supporting ministers in their labor of word and sacrament. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. And he goes on to explain that verse from the Old Testament, saying, For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. Teaching the word is as simple and clear a job description of gospel ministry as there is. These days, ministers are tempted to perform many other jobs. They have become salesmen, businessmen, musicians, entertainers, comedians, janitors, CEOs, and anything and everything except perhaps preachers. But a true minister is nonetheless nothing less than a minister of the Word. The center of any gospel ministry must be the exposition of Holy Scripture. And most often, in order to do this well, it is a full-time job, and so the church is exhorted to share with its pastor all good things. This refers especially to material support that someone needs to survive and thrive. Teaching the Bible is the pastor's livelihood, and so he should be paid for what he does. The reason this kind of sharing is necessary is very simple. Martin Luther once again explained, it is impossible that one man should be devoted to household duties day and night for his support and at the same time pay attention to the study of sacred scripture as the teaching ministry requires. Preparing to preach if, if, if it is to be done well is costly labor. 
Therefore, a minister must be free to spend his time preparing to teach God's Word. I recall this particular exhortation from my own ordination service. Forsake and set aside as much as you may all worldly cares and studies. This requires, at least to some degree, the type of sharing from the church that Paul here cares, calls for. And to be clear, to be absolutely crystal clear, I am thankful, and I'm sure Pastor Lovett is thankful, that this church is faithful in this matter. So the exhortation then is to keep up the good work. Keep being faithful in sharing and equipping both now and in every generation to come. <clears throat> so in conclusion... The fruit of the Spirit will always manifest itself concretely in the life of the church. The more closely we are walking in the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit, the more equipped we are to manifest Christ's love toward one another and to lend a helping hand, a sympathetic ear, a kind word, and bear one another's burdens. Burdens that are better borne by two or more saints in the body of Christ. Yes, praying is a most important way we bear spiritual burdens for our brothers and sisters. But sometimes we need to bear burdens in such a way that we end up not only with sore knees, but also sore backs and shoulders and tear-soaked handkerchiefs. We can only bear these burdens rightly if we truly care for our brother or sisters, if we love them as Christ loves them, if we are able to see them as Christ sees them. Therefore, we must esteem others above ourselves and put their needs ahead of our own. And as we do so, we come to the knowledge that we are nothing and have nothing to boast in except the cross of Christ. Any good and anything worthy is all of Christ. When we realize this and when we care from this perspective, we are beginning to function as a healthy member of Christ's body. But in order to stay on the right path, we have to see ourselves as God sees us. We have to take a look at what God is doing in and through us. We have to compare ourselves to God's Word and not to others. We should spend time contemplating upon the truths and exhortations in God's words and then stare at ourselves and ask, are we confident that we have been faithful in His calling upon our lives, considering only your life and not someone else's. We need to exercise discernment as we heed the exhortation to bear one another's burdens. And there is a balance to be sought. We need to be sufficiently humble to share a heavy burden with a friend, but we also need to be loving enough to carry those burdens designed for us to carry. We are to avoid spiritual sloth and laziness as much as physical sloth and laziness. We are to grow up as we walk in and by the Spirit and become able to be, a, be able to bear weightier spiritual burdens and not be satisfied with our lives in a perpetual state of spiritual infancy. And as spiritual people, we are to share with those who teach us, with those who shepherd and keep watch over our souls as those who must give an account. This, too, is another form of burden-bearing. I know that I am probably 
too given to quotes and too lengthy of quotes at that. But I do like what John Piper said here. Here is a vocation that will bring you more satisfaction than if you become a millionaire ten times over. Develop the extraordinary skill for detecting the burdens of others and devote yourself daily to making them lighter. Christ never commands us to do anything that He wants us to do on our own. Therefore, every command in the law of Christ is a call to faith. Through faith, God supplies the Spirit of Christ. Through the Spirit, we produce the fruit of love. Through love, we fulfill the law of Christ. Therefore, if you trust Him, you, would, you will fulfill His law of love. You will devote yourself to lifting the burdens of others. Good words from John Piper. And this is the ministry of burden bearing. It is a vocation that will earn you very, very few accolades. It will gain you very few awards. The majority of what you do will go unnoticed by others and forgotten by even those who benefit most. You yourself will forget most of it. But every bit of it will matter. Every bit of it will do good to others and bring glory to God. So lift up your eyes. Lift up your head. Look around for those who are burdened. Develop the habit and skill of spotting those burdens and determine that you will meet them. One casserole, one hug, one visit, or one prayer at a time. And truly in closing, John Stott observed this. To be a burden bearer is a great ministry. It is something that every Christian should do and can do. It is a natural consequence of walking by the Spirit. It fulfills the law of Christ. Our gracious and merciful Father, we have come before Your throne much this week. We know more clearly today than we did last week that we are weak and needy. We are utterly dependent upon Your grace in our lives. Thank You for being near to us this week. <clears throat> Thank You for surrounding us with the love and care of our brothers and sisters. Thank You for calling and equipping us to bear the burdens of our loved ones. And we pray that You will grow us into an ever greater maturity in this part of our life in Christ. We continue to come before Your face and petition You as the great physician to heal, comfort, and encourage those in this body who are sick, who are in pain, and who are recovering from injury. And this we pray with both hope and confidence. For we come praying this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.